It's search warrant and we're back. I'm John Snedden, a veteran NCIS special agent, along with Anna Midlars, a veteran Buffalo City detective, and Tom Purcell, a veteran Canadian Pacific police captain. We are focusing on the disaster that is Philadelphia today, where a defense attorney masquerading as a district attorney is literally killing the city. Larry Krasner, the current defense attorney masquerading as district attorney in Philadelphia, has been a disaster, is a threat to law enforcement and the citizens of Philadelphia. This isn't just a problem for the citizens of Philadelphia and local law enforcement. It's a problem for visiting visitors and tourists. And uh, having worked in Philadelphia as a federal agent, you don't know if you're going to be prosecuting the case federally through the state or through the local district attorney's office. And if you can't trust the district attorney's office, uh, you've got a problem. And uh, Larry uh, Krasner has uh, illustrated his uh, desire to uh, prosecute members of law enforcement. So do you really want to uh, operate in Philadelphia under those conditions? So thankfully, we have an individual that uh, has a uh, very long and illustrious career as a uh, career prosecutor and a trial lawyer that has stepped forward to uh, pursue the position of uh, district attorney in Philadelphia. And that, that individual is Carlos Vega. And we have with him with us today, and we're very pleased that we have the opportunity to speak with him today. Uh, Carlos, welcome to Search Warrant. Thank you for having me. It's a uh, it's a pleasure to to uh, have somebody that's uh, you know I, when you look at the Krasner situation it's the dark and uh, we finally have somebody that's going to bring light to the situation it's fantastic um, I wanted to uh, I just pulled the uh, the homicide uh, statistics for Philadelphia and uh, it's stunning I mean it's it. it, it I don't know whether it's stunning is a good word. I guess I guess more uh, more a case of shocking that it's at uh, what 494 as of last night, and then there were two more this morning, or three more this morning, which brings it up to 495, I think, um, which is a a 40 percent at 494 at midnight last night was 40 percent uh, higher than. Uh, the previous year's homicide rate. Can you speak to that at all? Well, the way I would describe the numbers of deaths that are occurring in our in our city, it's tragic. Uh, I, it, it's unheard of. Uh, and the parents and these families are burying their children. When you think of these numbers, these numbers show that every day a parent would get a knock on the door that their child, their loved one, has been killed with the numbers of shootings. Several parents are getting a call or a knock on the door that your child is in the hospital. They've been shot. And when you know when you say a person's been shot, people always just forget about it. But when you're, you're shot, you have to think of some are paralyzed. Some will wear a colostomy guy forever. Some will be emotionally traumatized that they'll never be normal. Uh, these people are handicapped. And, and even if they survive these wounds, just the scarring, if you ever get a, a shot in the abdomen, uh, the scarring, you just are not, you just can't even go to the beach because people will be staring at you. So this is tragic. It's something that has to stop. Uh, and it's something that we as a community and law enforcement and the DA's office has to join together 
to address this issue. And to say addressing it, it sounds very kind. We have to save lives. Yes, sir. You're, uh, if I understand it correctly, you, you know, you were with the uh, district attorney's office as a uh, prosecutor and a, a, a trial lawyer for 35 years. Is that right? That is correct. I started in 1992 when uh, Edward Rendell uh, recruited me from law school. Understand. Um, and if if I also understand correctly, you had 450 homicides you uh, prosecuted, right? Uh, uh, about 450, uh, you know, either prosecuted, uh, there were negotiated pleas, jury trials, and, and bench trials. Yes about 450. And if when I look at what has happened under the uh, under Larry Krasner, it, it looks as if they've had maybe 20 homicide cases. And do you know if they've won any of those? Uh, what I can only go by the statistics that they publish, you know, because I'm not in the office. Right. But I think with respect to them going to trial, I don't think they've won a case. I think Mr. Krasner has said that his numbers are up. Those are all by way of a guilty pleas. But I would like the, the public to know what are the offers being made. Uh, I had one uh, defendant, and it was in the Enquirer, where he and his co-defendant executed a 15-year-old boy and a young black man. And uh, he was serving double life and Larry uh, agreed to or the office agreed to a new trial and they gave him a deal of seven to 14 years in prison. Uh, so seven to 14 years for the death of a 15 year old and a young black man, it's, it's unheard of. Uh, so absolutely, when people are getting offers like that, uh, a killer is going to take those numbers. Think right, right. Seven years when you kill someone. Right. Um, my understanding is um, that when Krasner took over, he he fired about 30 prosecutors and brought in 60 rookies, basically. And that of those 60, at least at least 18 failed the bar, the bar exam. Uh, can you comment on that at all? Well, I, I can only go by what I've read in the press and, and what is in, in the public record. Of the hirees, I think the number was more, I think it was 21 of them uh, failed the bar. And uh, when they retook the exam, seven of those failed again. Uh, so you have to realize that and I'll use the example of a doctor. You don't want a doctor performing surgery on you if he can't pass the the board exams that show that he has a level of competence. Uh, you know, so that is, so think of it. You're going to get triple bypass surgery from a surgeon who failed uh, the boards. And, you know, I've been a public servant for 35 years, and what I've said is this. I am the attorney for the city. The taxpayers pay my salary, so they want the best representation. And I don't see how that could be the best representation. Additionally, there's a grooming process because most people don't realize when you get out of law school, you just learn things in books. You really don't know what you're doing. 
You know, you're you're right. you graduate from law school, but you're not really a lawyer. You know, when you graduate from law school, if you go to a courtroom, you don't even know what side of the room to stand in or or what to do with the judge. There's a grooming process. And uh, under Rendell, and I, you know, I speak very highly of him. His process of educating us, we had one of the best offices in the country. I would say that if you were an average lawyer, after you went through our process, you'd be a very good lawyer. And if you had talents, you'd be great in a courtroom. And it's because of the, the repetition, the responsibility we have, and also the older generation. You understand? Because me with 35 years experience, a new uh, lawyer could say, well, how do I do this or that? I've had every scenario, everything that could go wrong. And I can tell them, this is what you do. But when you have a lawyer who's been only out of law school one or two years trying to train a person who's just got out of law school, that's not going to work. And I'll use the example when I got into homicide. You just don't go to homicide. Uh, that is the, the toughest cases that you can try. And the stress level is, the only way I can explain the stress level is the last game of the World Series, ninth inning, the bases are loaded, and you're the pitcher. You throw oh, one world pitch, yeah. you lost the World Series. That is the stress. That's why not everybody can go to homicide. And not many people can stay in homicide that many years because your nerves are shot. But before I got into homicide, I had was doing a jury a week. I had done between maybe 40 or almost 50 jury trials before they allowed me to come to homicide. And then when I was in homicide, I was groomed doing homicides that were, you know, and every murder is is very important, but more simple homicides. So I was groomed to do more complicated homicides. So the so there was a passing of the torch that when I got into homicide, I was surrounded by lawyers that were gods. I mean, like they could try cases and they taught me and I learned from them. After yeah. 30 years, I was the old guy grooming and teaching the new guys on what to do. That way, when I retired, those guys were trained and then they could teach the new people. So it's generations, but you don't get that experience from reading it in a book. It's by being in court every day, every day. And, and when you're, you know, there were some DAs that, uh, you know, and there's nothing wrong with making money, but they use the DA's office as a stepping stone. They stay there three or four years to get the experience to, you know, their resumes look good and they leave. But there are certain DAs that made it uh, their, their life goal. I mean, I, at seven years old, when I was a little boy, I saw this movie with uh, Betty Davis and Humphrey Bogart called Marked Women. And when I saw that movie, I said, I want to be that guy. I want to be a homicide prosecutor. Now, as a kid, I didn't know if I'd ever become a lawyer or whatever. But that was my dream. And I worked hard at it. And what's amazing is I did become a lawyer. And I did go to homicide. And quite honestly... With my background and, you know, my family having a grocery store and, you know, they're being robbed and burglarized. My friends that I grew up with getting eaten by the streets of becoming drug abusers or going to jail. I felt that it was important to be the voice of people who are victims. And that's why I stayed there that long is because I think I was good enough and I cared enough that I would do the best job. And if you talk to any family member that I did their trials, they would say that I did the best I could for them. And, uh, and it's humbling their gratitude because they'll never forget. And, you know, when you get a file and you call a mother or father, it's a terrible call because I'm calling you to say, I'm here to remind you your child has been killed 
and I'm going to be your lawyer and I'm going to do the best for you. And I've always called them my family. And, uh, you know, I've yeah. done almost 450 broken hearts uh, of saying they've killed my baby. And uh, but I'll tell you what, it's one of the few jobs that you can say and look in the mirror. I'm doing the right thing. I, I'm, I'm trying to give back to the community. And, uh, you know, you don't become rich. But I'll tell you what, you know, when all is said and done, I can say I made a difference. I cared and I try to do something. Absolutely. Absolutely. It just it's a it's a, it's amazing that he would bring 60 new attorneys in and that what 21 of them had failed the bar exam. I, I don't even know how they how they would get the experience, you know, to be successful other than the fact that they get people to plead to much smaller uh, sentences, you know, much like we referred to before. I mean, it's a lot easier for somebody to uh, plead to a seven year sentence as opposed to a life and life or 25 years. Um, Tom, do you want to, uh, do you have any follow-up questions on that? Yeah, I want to talk about just uh, one nagging Larry Krasner nightmare that just keeps reoccurring in my life every time I think of him, or read about him, or study him, follow him. It, it just always just never ceases to amaze me. First of all, um, Carlos Vega, it's really an honor to speak with you. You are an incredible man with an incredible history. 450 murder cases is just outstanding by its own. It's uh, great that you survived it. Um, I have a lot of friends that are homicide coppers that are retire, and I know what they've been through, and I know what they what they still agonize about. And it's a it's it's a nightmare life, and my gratitude to you for what you've done. Uh, back to Mr. Krasner. What gets me every time is uh, is this is this really incompetence or is this malfeasance? Because incompetence means you just don't know what the hell you're doing, and malfeasance means I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to keep not doing what I'm supposed to do. And this guy with with a history of George Soros and and people that that just had sickness and stink that go along with their name have all glued themselves in with Larry Krasner or Larry is done vice versa gluing himself into such terrible terrible people um so if we can answer that question I mean you're probably not in the position yet and you have too much dignity to go out of the way to say something wrong but I mean, what is going on with the Philadelphia DA? Is this incompetence or is it really out and out malfeasance that we just wanna, we want the control that we wanna control. Let's get rid of the good, let's let them go and bring in the incompetent, even that in itself. What do you mean you're bringing in the incompetent, you know, 30 or 40 new ADAs? What the hell are you doing? And I'm, and that alone, I can see why you're you're uh, you're going to go after the office and why you're going to win it. But I have to ask you first of all, did you, are you coming out of retirement to go back into this life? Uh, yes, I thought about it long and hard. I was approached, and uh, you know, a lot of 
you know, I talk to my family about it, you know, because it's it's going to be running in politics. People make up things about you. They're going to lie. As I said before, when I was speaking to people, I, I talked to my mother and she says, you know, they're going to start things or say things about you that are untrue or, as I say, bold-faced lies. But she says, listen, I know who you are. You're honorable. I love you. And if you got to do it, I back you 100%. And I talked to my children about it. They're a little nervous. They're scared. But they said, okay, dad, you know, you do what you're going to do because I'm the dad and, and I, I lead from the front. So, uh, yeah, and I, I believe a lot of people are uh, afraid of, of taking this, this task on because I'm not just fighting Mr. Krasner. I'm fighting the millionaire elite. There are people from California, tech giants, that, you know, if, if you look at his reporting, there are millionaires and billionaires that are backing him for this social experiment. And what bothers me is this social experiment is failing and it's at the cost of lives of black and brown people. I mean, if you look at the statistics, 87% of all murder victims are black. 10 to 12% of all murder victims are Latino. I was speaking to a group of Spanish mothers and they were horrified when I told them this year alone, 170 Latinos have been shot and killed. That's 170 Latinos dead. And the numbers of blacks is, is, is shocking, is tragic, and, and it shouldn't be happening. Our youth is dying. And that's at the expense of people who live in gated communities, who have private security, and Mr. Kaiser walks around with armed police officers living in a million dollar home, driving his Tesla. He's protected. But people like you and me, we had to walk in the street. And when you're coming from work, hopefully you're not robbed. Hopefully when you get home, they didn't break into your house and steal your items. Hopefully you don't get a call that your child is safe at home as opposed to being in the hospital treated for a gunshot wound or worse, in the morgue and they're conducting an autopsy on him. So uh, he said was very profound that I, I saw on a YouTube video. He says, I'm the public defender with power. Now think of that. There is an adversarial system. There is a defense attorney and there is the prosecution. The, the district attorney is there to enforce the law to make sure our community is safe and bring justice, both for the victim and the defendant, but make sure that everything is fair. And I'll use the example of a civil suit because people don't understand this. What if your loved one goes to have surgery and the doctor is drunk and messes up the surgery and your person dies? Well, you hire an attorney to sue the doctor in the, the hospital. You want to hear the lawyer you uh, uh, hired saying, well, you know, the, the, the doctor had a bad night and, you know, his wife was really mean to him. So you really do you really want to sue him? No, they killed your family. Yeah, so when, right. And when, when you have these neighborhoods being ravaged with violence ravaged with drugs, they want something to do about it. And it's really unfair because, as I've always said, I am the voice of the victim because they are silent. When you think of our system, and America has a great system, when you're arrested, you have a right to remain silent. You have a right to an attorney that's free. You have a right to bail, and you have a right to a jury trial with a jury of your peers. When you are robbed, what rights do you have? When you are raped, what rights do you have? When your child is killed, what rights did he have? Nothing. You go to court after an investigation and you present those facts to a jury and hopefully you'll get some measure of justice. And the saddest thing that I've had in homicide is this. I have brought justice to the family that their loved one meant something. 
and the jury recognized that. But you know, the one thing I can't give them back is their child, and that's what they would want. Okay, so, you know, let's say the person's convicted, whether it's life imprisonment or 20 years or whatever, there is a measure of justice on the books, but to that mother with a broken heart, she cannot, I cannot make her whole again. And, and think, of, and you guys are probably parents. It is unnatural to bury your child. When your child is born, you're thinking, oh, he's gonna be president of the United States. He's gonna have a better life than me. You, children are born to bury their parents, not the other way around. And I cannot believe any mother or father is normal. Every day they wake up is that pain in their heart saying, my baby's not here. And especially now during the holidays, that's when mothers are their most sad. Think of it. You're thinking of Christmas, New Year's Eve, and your baby is not there. And when I say a baby, you could be, look, uh, I'm in my 60s. I'm still my mother's baby. You know what I mean? She's 93. But it would kill her if I was murdered. You know, I, I, I don't know how she'd survive that. And I think that's why I've done it so long. And that's why I think the DA's office has to come back and say, we are your voice. We will do the best for you because no one's protecting the victims. No one's speaking out for them. And I'll use this example. With the murders today, have you heard a comment from the district attorney's office saying we got to stop it or anything? Just say you're alive. It's like we're on our own. And that's why I, I stepped into this race is because I can't sit by. Having served the, the city 35 years, I, I you know, It'd be nice to enjoy my retirement, but guess what? I, I have to come back in and, and do something about it. Beautiful. Listen, um, I'm going to tell you, it's, you appear to be the wake-up call that Philadelphia is waiting for. They can't tolerate this anymore. And I really wish you luck. I, I, I'm an old conservative, and I'll back you anytime you ask, okay, Carlos? Uh, because you, you are truly the answer. But, but you know, when you say conservative, it's not about being conservative or liberal or a Democrat or a Republican. When you, when you step back, all of us, black, white, male, female, we all want to be happy. We want to be loved. We want to be safe. And we want our children to have a better life. So quite honestly, when, when I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking as a human, as a father, as a citizen, saying we all want the same thing. And we want somebody in there to make sure we are safe. So you don't ever be uh, ashamed or, or apologize that you're conservative because you could talk to a liberal and they want the same thing. I don't want to be robbed. I don't want my child to die. It's about being a person, a citizen, a human, a parent. I understand. Hey, just to uh, put a uh, point on on some of the things that uh, that Tom was alluding to. I mean, the, the problems in Krasner's uh, DA's office include that his uh, newest advisor is a disbarred attorney. Um, Motiva's son was uh, let off the hook for uh, domestic violence. Uh, the head of the DA's conviction integrity unit lacks integrity from everything I can read. Um, the top aide to the uh, DA was arrested for abandoning a child. Uh, Krasner's ADA has posted fuck the cops on Instagram. Uh, Krasner's diverse ADA doesn't like white people, as uh, 
uh, posted that several times. And uh, DA gun violence uh, counselor shot and killed a male prostitute. Um, to say nothing to, of the fact that uh, Krasner rolled out on a red carpet uh, an accused serial rapist as a uh, trainer for the uh, office. Can any of that that you can comment on? Well, as a private citizen, I've read the articles, and uh, it's shocking because in 35 years, the only scandal I ever heard of was Seth Williams having been arrested and, and, and been put in jail, and there was an accounting. He did something wrong. He broke the law. He, he was found guilty or pled guilty and did go to jail. As we see, and I, I talk about this, the, the I call the millionaire elite, uh, do as I say, not as I do. The rules do not apply to them. I mean, think of it. Uh, you have a disbarred attorney, and, and I, I read the facts on it. He forged the signature of a judge. Now, this is not a young kid that, you know, you go joyriding or make some stupid mistake. Here is a person who is educated, college educated, goes to graduate school, to law school, passes the bars, practicing law, so decided, I'm going to forge a judge's signature. That is shocking. How can you have someone in the DA's office trying to enforce the law when you've broken the law? Uh, you know, you're, you're a hypocrite. The same thing, how can you prosecute a drug case if you're using drugs? You know, how can you hold a mother accountable for neglecting their child when you have someone who left their child in a car in the summer in the heat? I mean, and, and you don't need an education to know you don't leave your child in a car in the summer heat because how many times have we seen the news person gets into trouble for leaving their dog in the car because they can die so it shows a level of I, I don't even know what you call it but to surround yourself with people like that who are in charge of protecting us uh and and i see no uh accounting for what their actions are it, it, it's shocking but then again i say this the millionaire elite, the rules do not apply to them. They apply to you and me, but not to them. I mean, you know, just to look at what is happening in his office. I mean, just the uh, just the the reported things that are occurring in his office. I mean, you have no idea what else is going on. You know, and, and, um, and that, that is true because we don't. You know, these things have leaked out. Uh, you know, and and the, and and the public has has found out about it. And you know, when I've read the Enquirer, I, I've seen that there. Uh, I've read it in alternative news sources, uh, uh, accounting about this, not in, in the main media. You know that right. you, you find it, but you know, I I don't. We we really there there. I don't know if there's any transparency anymore. I mean, think of it. In this time, and you know, I know city council wants it to, you know, said we're going to declare this an emergency. It's an epidemic, and city council is trying to do something, but the power belongs to the district attorney, and they are silent. and And I'm tired of, you know, the soundbite of, oh, poverty is equal bullets, and it's schools. No, you're the DA. You're supposed to protect <laughs> because there has always been poverty throughout the centuries. People who are poor don't go out and kill. You know, people who are poor struggle and work and try and raise enough money that the future generations have a better life. That's an example of my parents. They worked really hard so I can be better, okay? And, you know, 
and 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 I do have a better life than my parents did. But as a parent, and I, I think people know, 15 years I worked at UPS at night so yeah. I can educate my children, so I can give them the education that my parents gave me. And that's what poor people do every day. And they are the unsung heroes. Nobody ever talks about it because, you know, working at UPS, you, you, I, I, and it's amazing. At UPS, you see young men working. And, and people don't know this unless you work at UPS. There is no heat or air conditioning in UPS because it's not cost effective. Right, they right. And load these trucks in the heat. Okay. I was there with them and we call it humping trucks, unloading, <laughs> loading trucks. And my hat's off to all those people. It shows that there are good people in, in, in this country. And, uh, you know, and it humbles you, but you realize when you hear the, the head of Amazon that he's a billionaire. Well, the people who made him the billionaire are us, all those UPS workers who are delivering those packages. And yeah. they're working for pennies when you consider that he's a billionaire. And when you look at buildings, who built them? You and me built those buildings, okay? But who's reaping the benefits? Once again, the millionaire elite who have these experiments at our expense because they don't live in our neighborhood. And what do they know about poverty? Did they read about it in a book? You know, what yeah. do they know about racism? No one's ever discriminated against them. You know, so uh, it's, you know, there was an article I read by this, this person. I can't think of his name, but it was really telling have you, you know, and it was a questionnaire. Have you ever had a job that at the end of the day, your body hurts? Well, I know my mother's back was breaking. I know working at UPS, my feet were hurting. Uh, have you, do you ever even know the smell of a factory? You know, because, you know, when you work in a factory or a construction site, you know, you know, that smell of wood that you're, that you're drilling, there's a smell of wood, of oil, all that stuff. There's a group of people who their greatest danger was getting a paper cut, okay? or their fingers hurting because they're, they're playing with their, their, their cell phone. But the, the, the normal person is breaking their bodies. Yes. And what happens when you're 65, you got a few years left and you die. That, that's, the, you know, that, that's what you get. Yeah. So uh, what, what I want to do is make sure that those people have a better life, that at least they don't have to worry about going home. At least their car is still there and not stolen. At least they're doing something about the gun epidemic, the illegal guns that are on the street to take them off. Yeah, that's another shocking uh, statistic when it comes to uh, the gun prosecutions, the uh, you know fel felony firearms uh, prosecutions in, in uh, Philadelphia. Unbelievable. Uh, Anna, do you have uh, do you have some questions? Oh, hi, hi, Mr. Vega. Hi, Anna. How are you? Um, prior, prior to me learning about you running, um, I was following a group on Facebook. Uh, the name of it, it's called Impeach DA Larry Krasner. And it has 31,000, 31 and a half thousand members. And um, I was going through all the comments and, and learning a little bit more about, you know, how they feel about him. Uh, there's a gentleman named Mr. Brian Sayer, who's the administrator, um, runs it pretty well. And um, one of the questions that I come across in their comments is that, uh, well, they're, they're not happy with, uh, with Krasner, obviously. But they, I was wondering about the experience that he had prior to being DA and what he did before DA, he was a DA. Well, what I, uh, what I know of him is 
he represented a lot of people. It was a group called like uh, some groups like Act Out or whatever that whenever there was, uh, I remember doing the Republican convention. It's these young people that'll, you know, demonstrate or chain themselves to a building, whatever. And, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're arrested. I know he represented them. I know he was a defense attorney and would sue the police department on a number of occasions. But in terms of his experience of running uh, the district attorney's office, it's a whole different skill set because there are these programs that you have, you know, because uh, he'll talk about or other people talk about mass incarceration. And that's just a talking point. There are people that need to go to jail, that they're violent, destroying our community. You know, they're shooting, raping, killing. But then there are other people who are committing crimes that we can salvage. Uh, and the only way is by their entering the court system that we can make them enter programs that, that will help them. You know, because a lot of times a drug addict is not seeking help and the parents can't get them help. But when there's court intervention, the judge could say, well, you have a choice. It's either incarceration or you go to an inpatient program. And a ju judge could monitor them the same way as prostitution. Uh, if you look at the statistics of prostitution in the DA's office and get on his database, it's down 99%. There are no arrests or approvals for prostitution. But if you walk on Kensington and some other areas, they ha you have these young ladies that are addicted to narcotics who are selling their bodies to feed a habit. And, you know, they're basically slaves being abused. And, and I, with my, you know, my experience, prostitutes are the most vulnerable. They get robbed, they get raped, and, you know, they get diseases. But yet in the DA's office, before we had a program where we would get these young ladies and get the help they needed, which was getting drug counseling, you know, getting them housing and all that stuff. Because that young lady is someone's daughter. I mean, when you think of having a child, no child ever says, I want to have sex with 20 different men in a single day. No, they want to be a ballerina, a doctor, a teacher, a mommy, you know, and he's I, I see with the stats. If it's, you know, prostitution hasn't stopped is that he will not approve of prostitution. And it's not to harm the prostitute. It's to get her help because I don't like to call them prostitutes because they're a young lady who's someone's daughter, someone's mother. And, you know, a lot of them have children and with their addiction and they're selling their body in the street, they're neglecting those children. And, you know, who's helping them? You know, the child can't say, oh, I'm not getting fed. You know, they're, they're, they're babies. So, uh, it, you know, so I see he was not, I don't see he had the qualifications to do this. And if he was going to do this, you needed the people who had the institutional knowledge to say these programs work, these programs don't work. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I see a lot of these programs are no longer in existence. Yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate, um, when you, you're talking through the entire interview, you consider the individual in each case. Is, and, and that's a really great way of, of being a prosecutor, I believe. No, it, it's true yeah. because, you know, it's not one size fits all, you know, like right. in a murder case, there's murders where a person deserves life. There's murders where the person deserves a few years. You know, you take it on a case by case basis, yeah. you know, and, and I think what's important, which, you know, many mothers have complained to me when I had a case and this came under Rendell, when you had a file that was an index card on there saying, call your family. 
So when you had a case, you would immediately call the family saying, I'm, I'm your DA and here's my, my phone number. And whenever I had a murder case, all my families have my cell number. I say, don't call me, text me, I'll call you at the end of the night because I'm in court. But when I was going to do a plea, I just didn't take it, you know, I mean, because I am the government, I could do whatever I want. But it really meant a lot to me because I, I, I treated those mothers like I want my mother treated is to bring her in and say, well, we're making these offers because of this is his background. This is what occurred. That way they're part of the process and realize, OK, you care about me. You care about me enough to talk to me and bring me in the office and discuss what the plans are. So they're they're part of that program, mm -hmm. you know, and they don't you know, you just don't go. I'm giving this guy probation because I feel like it. No, you explain why what is happening. That way they go, okay, I get it, you know, but it's very important. And once again, I am the attorney for the citizens of Philadelphia. You know, you pay my, my salary and, and, and I owe it to you to be the best I can and to keep you informed. And I realized the calls I've been getting is we don't know what's going on. Right. Fact, I, yeah. I've had families find out about a plea under their son's murder because they read it in the newspaper. And, you know, that is inexcusable. I started in 82. That was bef before ATMs, before cell phones, and before pagers. And I was able to communicate with every family member. Now is inexcusable. Everyone has a cell phone, okay? I can text you. I can call you. I can find you, okay? So to not talk to a mother or father of what's happening with their case and keeping them apprised of every important hearing is, is inexcusable. It's dis It's disrespectful. Yeah. And it's disgusting. I mean, I, I would love to know what, excuse my French, what the hell is going on with the uh, victim witness coordinator part of that office? I mean, that's insane. It's completely, uh, it's completely uh, disrespectful to all the victims. Unbelievable. Um, Anna, anything else you have? Yeah, I have one one other quick question that you know I, I see that people want to know. They, they want to know what would be the your First policy changes after you win the election that you would do? Well, the, the first thing would be is to institute proper training for the, the lawyers there. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't be angry of if a lawyer is incompetent when they haven't been trained. I've spoken to many people who are in other agencies or are retired who say we will come back and bring that institutional knowledge. You need the guys who've been there to train these people. We also have to tr train these people of a culture that we represent the victims. We are their voice. That, you know, the first thing you do is you keep the family apprised of what's going on and, and you know, know that you are their champion. You have to be there for them. And, you know, when you're a, a prosecutor, you know, it doesn't stop at, at, at five o'clock. Like when I've lectured to other prosecutors, if you work nine to five, you get Mickey Mouse results. I would work because I would find witnesses at two in the morning, or I, I think of a case at, at, at three o'clock in the morning. It's seven days a week that you're doing this. And I have to, so my first official act would be to start an intensive training program that they know what they're doing, having experienced lawyers. Second, bring in the, the, the culture of that we are representing the victims and we have to be victim friendly uh, and also repair the the fracture that Mr. Kratz has occurred with the different law enforcement agencies. Oh. He 
He's alienated the attorney general's office. He's alienated the police department. He's alienated the U.S. attorney's office. If you use your common senses, I have a budget. But if I reach out to the attorney general, he has manpower, intelligence, and money that my office can get to better serve the citizens. If I reach out to the U.S. attorney's office, and I know guys there that I can call first name basis, I want federal money because I want federal money to start some programs in, in the office. So why you know, be alienate that U.S. attorney when I want federal funding. They got tons of money. I want their resources. I want their money, their agents, their intelligence. Because one thing I want to do that I've wanted to do for many years is uh, start a cold case unit in the office. You see, homicide has a cold case unit, but as you see with these number of murders, they can't even work on those cases because they're doing these current ones. Yeah. I, I've solved many cold cases you know, working with the police. And I want to start a unit with seasoned prosecutors and uh, detectives assigned to that unit alone and do grand juries, reach out to the attorney general, U.S. attorney's office to get intelligence to solve these because you have literally hundreds of mothers who have never received any justice. You know, their child is dead. That person is out there and they feel like, well, I'm forgotten. Well, I'm not going to forget you. I've thought about it and I want a unit in there that is addressing this because those mothers have been put on the wayside. I mean, and I, and I know it's their mothers grieving right now, but their mothers have been grieving for five, 10 years and nothing has happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so anything else? No. So to get all those units involved, I I, want to repair you know, our relationships with all those other law enforcement agencies, because together we can make a difference. I mean, the DA's office is going to do so much, but but think of federal prosecutors and, and you know, DA, ATF and, and the U in the AG's office. That is a, 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 you know, a more impactful in our communities. And it's impactful in the, the poor communities, which are, you know, communities of color. The people of Philadelphia need you. For sure. Is there anywhere that uh, someone could support you uh, in your campaign? Any kind of a website that you could tell us about? Yeah, my website is a all one word, Vega4DA, that's V-E-G-A-F-O-R-D-A.com. Okay. There you can uh, read about my platform. Uh, you can contact me if you want to, let's say, have a meet or greet either way by Zoom or social distancing in person. Uh, you could also put in, you know, what suggestions you have or how you would want to help either knock on doors, make a phone call. Also, there's a donate button. Now, some people are hesitant to donate, uh, but uh, you can also send a check and I'll give you the address, which is 1515 uh, Market Street, Suite 1200, Philadelphia, PA, 19102. And if you send a check, you uh, write out the check to Vega for DA. So, but the address is 1515 Market Street, Suite 1200, Philadelphia, 19102, Vega for DA. Because I know there's a lot of people that are more old school that would rather send a check. And absolutely, uh, check or you do it through the portal. But remember, I'm running this race as a grassroots campaign being the, the the person for the unheard. I'm going to be their voice, but I need your help because I'm battling the millionaire elite. These people have an agenda 
and they have the money. But you know what? You can only do so much with money. It's being sincere and competent and having the experience. Yeah. I hear you. Absolutely. Know that I have a more calming of effect because I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, we hope to interview you uh, before and after the primary when it comes up and let make people aware. Oh, absolutely. And if you want to yeah. have before the primary, I'd love to talk to you. Okay. Yes. The, the primary is uh, May 18th. Is that right? That's right. May 18th uh, is, is a primary. I need everybody there to be up bright and early because it's a low turnout election. But this election is so important because it speaks to the safety of our, our, our city and hopefully reduces murder rate because I don't want a mother every day to hear that their child has been killed. Uh, Carlos, I wanted to mention that, uh, what was it, last December, uh, yeah, last December, Anna was uh, down in South Philly representing a search warrant, um, and there was a uh, large group of South Philadelphia residents that were uh, voicing their disgust with, with uh, Larry Krasner. Um, Anna, can you just give us an idea of what happened to that? Happened yeah, there? yeah, it was standing room only. Um, actually, I had to go up on the balcony because I couldn't fit on the on the huge. Uh, I think it was a school gym floor. Uh, was, that, was that at Monica's? Yes. yes, yes, that was it. I met her. Actually, I got a photo of her, which I hope to do with you with our search warrant banner. Okay, in the future, but um, people were disgusted. I was going around talking to to them. Uh, they were people from all walks of life, citizens, people who've had experiences, uh, totally disgusted. I, I think this election will be very easy for you because he's making it easy for you because of uh, his actions or lack well, of them. Well, I, I was there because I live in South Philadelphia. Oh, oh yes. Oh, yes. I miss you. So, so those were, were my people there, my neighborhood. And, uh, oh, great. and, and uh, that's one of the reasons I, I, I'm running because it's not only South Philadelphia, but my 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 victims in West Philadelphia, North Philadelphia. You have no idea the number of phone calls over the last since 2018 saying, Carlos, can't you do something about it? And I yeah. said, I'm retired. I can't. And they say, well, why don't you become the D.A.? And that's why, you know, I pull the trigger. I'm here. Some people may think I'm crazy because I'm battling the millionaire elite. But guess what? You know, I've been told no so many times. I was told, no, I can't graduate from high school. No, I shouldn't go to college. No, I shouldn't be a lawyer. And I'm here talking to you now. So this is one of a series of obstacles and no's. And guess what? I really feel that this is our time that the city knows they need someone to make them safe. And I'm that person. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Tom, do you have anything else? You have some uh, friends and relatives and bunches of people from Philadelphia that I can't wait to get a hold of just to give you some support. This is fun. And you know, and, and I'd love, and you know, I, I get up around 6, 6.30 every morning and go to bed at 2. I don't know why. I'm like a vampire. <laughs> but any group that wants to speak to me by Zoom or whatever, I'm available because I think when you talk to me, I, I think you can tell that I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm doing. And I think, you know, and I like to talk to people in person. I, I, I think you would know that I'm sincere that it's about the people, not about me. And uh, sometimes you have to take the hit for those people. I'm taking that hit. Good man. 
Hang in there. We're proud of you. You know, uh, people people need to understand that uh, Carlos and uh, those of us that support Carlos are up against uh, you know the George Soros money. So it's we've got to we've got to put all our, all of our resources behind Carlos. Um, obviously, he is uh, clearly what Philadelphia needs to return to greatness. Um, you know, return to light out of the darkness, so to speak. But uh, you know, people people should realize that uh, you know Krasner is being funded by uh, George Soros and. Uh, you know, he has done no favors to anybody. So anyway, um, Carlos, we really appreciate uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Could you give us the uh, your web address one more time and then that address and then that address? OK, my website is Vega4DA.com, Vega4DA.com. That's V-E-G-A-F-O-R-D-A.com. And uh, my mailing address would be. 1515 Market Street, Suite 1200, Philadelphia, 19102. So that's 1515 Market Street, Suite 1200, Philadelphia, 19102. Got it. Uh, Tom, go ahead. No, I just wanted to say got it. Good luck. Okay, what thank you. Got? Yeah, thank, thank you very much, Carlos. We really appreciate it. We'd like to have you back again if we could. And I'd love to. You, 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 you. Text me. Tell me when I'll be there. And everyone have a happy and safe New Year. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye.